Fearless Narrative is the podcast where we spotlight amazing female entrepreneurs and artists who are changing the world today. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Fearless Narratives, and I am your host, Kia Miner. And I am your host, Cortland Jones. And today, our guest is Kelly Arena. She's an angel investor and the founder of Golden Hour Ventures. Her mission is to increase access to funding for female founders, which she believes will organically change the future of work and the world as we know it. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm great. You just condensed my mission in a way that um, I have to do. So well done. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I'm glad. Okay. So can you tell us about your background and how you became an angel investor? Absolutely. Yeah. So I started my career out of college at a lot of male-dominated industries. I started in a professional football franchise, um, Go Eagles, and uh, from there worked in corporate finance for a bit, moving around um, operating companies at Johnson & Johnson and their financial leadership development program, and then made the hard jump to Merrill Lynch to work in investment banking. Um, and then when it was time for me to start a family, it felt like something had to give. And so I left to focus on my, on my children. I had a, you know, an interesting parenting experience where my, my older child has, um, special needs, has, uh, autism. My younger child was born three months premature. And so I really didn't, uh, it wasn't working in a culture that supported any kind of balance and then you add a couple curveballs up to that and it just felt um unachievable so mm-hmm. um both fortunate in the way that I could take time off and focus on my family and yet really frustrated that I didn't exist in a society and a culture and a workplace that um you know really wouldn't allow me to have both and to hold both and knowing that I had the capacity to just not in the framework of how our corporate structures are now built Mm-hmm. Um, within that framework, within those hours, um, it's not it's not built for um, you know women to be able to multitask and you know be advocates when they need to advocate for their family and you know so spent a lot of time thinking about that and what I was going to do with the skill set that I had, which is you know really financial. And then that lends itself to all of these industries and careers that are really built not for women and women that require a certain level of balance and autonomy with their time. So as a way to pass the time, I, you know, did some light consulting for startups, a way to just like, you know, bring my skill set to some of the more creatives um, in my life who had like great ideas and vision, but not a solid business background. And through that, um, I started to witness firsthand the difference between some of my male founders and my female founders and how they were accessing funding um, Mm -hmm. really differently. Mm -hmm. And all the cliches were holding true. Um, I got $300,000 on the golf course coming from my male founders for their idea that was pre-seed and like just needed some capital to get it off the ground, as opposed to the female founders I was working with that had product market fit, um, you know, had an education and experience in that industry, many of them post revenue, um, and still were having difficulty getting seats at the table. And so I started to 
want to get angry and <laughs> yeah started to put my money where my mouth was um and realizing well I'm not actively investing in the private market so kind of dove in to get an education and you know invested in some women founders that I believed in and um joined a few angel syndicates which I I found really valuable pipeline angels was was one of them um which really focused on funding um underrepresented founders you know not just women but also focusing on the intersectionality between you know black founders and Latinx and you know the, how dire those statistics are mm-hmm. and I actually didn't until I joined that syndicate and really you know dove into that training and um when you start tearing apart those statistics you almost can't look away anymore it's like you mm-hmm. can't unknow it once you know it and um I mean that's a really long-winded way about how I got <laughs> to start but um that was kind of the moment I decided like okay this is this is what I'm the space I'm going to live um the execution points honestly are changing year to year um and really moving to see you know where I can be the most impactful and running into roadblocks um every step of the way but um I think I've landed in the place that I'm going to land <laughs> That's incredible. I, I obviously as founder, I I know the struggles firsthand of raising and how difficult it, it is, but I just want to ask, ask you, why do you think that it is so hard for us to raise as opposed to male founders? Oh, it's such a good question. And I spent <laughs> a lot of time thinking about it and talking about it. And one, I don't know the answer, but I have a hypothesis. Um very willing to be disproven here. But my hypothesis <laughs> is that as investors, you start as a human and you invest in what you know and what you resonate with. And really it's the it's the origination of bias. And you see that come through in every facet of one's life. So given that the majority of folks in venture capital, um, it's you know, it's just dominated by white men. Um, that are investing in what's resonant to them as white men. And so, I, you know, as far as the undo, I think certainly there is an allyship that is necessary to move the needle. Um, where I have decided to live for a little while is creating more women that are investing. Um, I think that's a lever to be pulled that a lot of folks are out there working on it in different ways. Um, I am on a mission to make women identify as an angel investor, no matter what your background is. Um, You get to the status where you're accredited. um, This is when you should be starting to look at the private markets too, because Mm -hmm. I don't think if we don't see more women investing, then these statistics are going to move in a major way. And I think that comes through education, exposure, making it fun. Um, you know, I was just in a meeting this morning um, talking to Allie McCartney, who's another wonderful human being um, who shares the same soapbox as I do. And the way she framed it was like, I want when women get together to be talking about their deal flow and their investments, the same way we're talking about where we get our nails done and who does our Botox. Um, <laughs> democratizing this conversation in a way like oh what are you in these days like oh that's a hot deal like can you get me in that and sharing those and making it fun and making it cool um because it is yeah (laughs) 
Um, and two, I think that's how we make change. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, and, and I think about that in my my new background is finance as well, but as a, um, a, an advisor, fitness coach. And, and that's one of the things I always talk about with my clients, but also with my family, right? And 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 now my homegirls, like Cortland and I have these conversations too. It's like, if we want to talk about being financially fit and financially educated and actually say the buck stops here with us and make sure that we're creating generational wealth, we have to normalize these conversations. And in our everyday life, right? Like not like I always talk about, I, and it's so pointed that you said the golf conversation, right? Because I feel like any female that's trying to be a business or wants to be his business is like, I got to learn how to play golf because so many deals happen. I did that. Life, right? <laughs> I say yeah. that all the time. As soon as I got it, I'm like, I got to learn, like, who's going to teach me? Who's going to teach me? Right. But of course, those are the conversations that you want to be in. And 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 that's when you can shine Do you, if you get the chance to. But if you're not having the conversations on an everyday basis with everyday people, to your point, Kelly, like, you're really not creating change. Like, yes, you're doing better for your business. And of course, that's what we all want. But I feel uniquely, most uniquely to females, at least in my experience, is that we really are tied to us doing better individually, but also as a community. 100%. Or alternatively, what is our version of the golf course? Yeah. Right? Like, how do we create that golf course mentality and bring it into our conversations where we're socialized to be focused on different things, frankly. Um, what is the unlock there? What is the golf course? Where do we get together and share our deal flow? And we have intentional communities um, built around that premise, but I'm really interested and, you know, and soliciting feedback all over the place. So I would, I would love yours, but where do you think that there is room to have those conversations and normalize it? Sure. Well, I mean, I met you at the the um, summit for SPVs with that was hosted by Annie Evans, and I feel that was a great start. You know, like that was an amazing event, and it was a great panel, great panels that were were held there, and just having that time to talk to investors and talk to other founders and have those that connection was to me probably almost better than the golf course because when I was in a conference in. Uh, in October, I actually was on the golf course to talk to in investors, and I don't like golf. Actually, I want to try it because it actually wasn't that bad. But you know, I'm not. It's not for me. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just not. I did actually have the ball, you know, like fly somewhere. So that was my like my like my accomplishment for the whole conference. Basically, was just hitting that ball. But <laughs> having like the actual investor connections on that field weren't. Uh, working for me but I know that I I made more connections in that room with Annie Evans and Laura Cox and you and everyone and that was just I think more genuine too because it, it was more of like building like real relationships and like almost almost friendships as opposed to just like closing a deal or like you know having conversations that were just about the money and about the like less transactional and more yeah. relationship based yeah so I feel like having more of those kind of events, which I'm hoping, I'm sure that there actually are like so many already, but I think that's where the real change starts. I think you're right. I think, um, you know, the golf course is, is such an apt example, but 
you know, where do you get together and socialize with your friends and how do we make that conversation more accessible? And I've been having lots of talks with folks. I think events are probably the most impactful just also because it tends to create a safe space. Mm -hmm. uh, and the truth of the matter is that women tend to be more risk averse mm -hmm. for better and for worse. It's the reason why I think women make great founders in some ways. Um, it can also work against you being very risk averse, but I, I, the founders I'm working with that are female tend to have an eye towards profitability, towards risk management, towards longevity, towards starting off um, solid and growing slowly. Um, and it's not just like top line, top line, top line, and then like we'll figure out the rest later and the exit will come and it won't be a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, so I see this is one of the reasons I love working with women founders. I feel like, but the, where it works against you is that there's so much preparation to feel ready. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit of a crisis of confidence or like, once I get this, I'll be ready to raise, or once I get here, I'll be ready to raise. Um, and that's both, um, a symptom and like the cause of, you know, that lack of access to funding, um, but to bring it back, I think that creating spaces that feel safe, one for both founders to ask questions that feel like they would be like silly or stupid um, and investors to ask questions that feel silly or stupid because the feedback I get a lot is like, I don't know, my husband handles that or my brother mm -hmm. me. And this has nothing to do with their current level of financial success too. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting how we're just not socialized to be really empowered with our financing and um, risk-taking feels uncomfortable in our bodies, or we doubt the confidence that we can make those decisions wisely. So I think those events that tend to be like women-focused, and I hate to constantly silo genders mm -hmm. because we really do need men on our side as well. Yeah, allies. <laughs> Yeah, we need those allies for sure. Um, but I think having those intentional communities where you don't have to worry about feeling embarrassed if you don't understand some of the terminology around angel investing or what that means. And um, also the reason why I, I love SPVs and, and working with that vehicle is that investors can access deals with a much lower initial investment. And it's it's a way to get one, a diversified portfolio of companies um, early on when you can write a few checks a year as opposed to one giant one. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really low hurdle. And I think I think we kind of learn by doing. And you know, when you have a few under your belt that aren't so intimidating, then you know, you get more comfortable with taking that risk. For sure, yeah. Yeah, do you want to say anything or should I continue on? <laughs> okay. Go ahead. I see the I see the question brewing. That's why I didn't say anything. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> okay. So honestly, like I I feel like I want to be an investor one day when I actually have the you know the money to do so. Sure. Um. So I'm just curious to know how does one become an, an angel investor and how does one become an accredited angel investor? Yeah. So the definitions of being an accredited investor right now is um, earning $200,000 or more or having a joint household income of $300,000 or more um, or having a net worth over $1 million. Um, there are 
ways around this too. If you feel really compelled to start angel investing um, before you're accredited. Um, one is getting involved in like the crowdfunding way of funding, which exists like via Republic. Um, you know, there's a couple other platforms. There's actually a lot blooming right now um, of crowdfunding platforms that kind of, because they were considered brokers, they can do these offerings for companies. I mean, you can come in at a much lower check size. WeFunder is another one. And I'm a big fan. I see founders using them a lot where they can like hit up their communities um, at large. And as long as the platform is doing the advertising for you, you technically can't advertise um, as a founder. I'm saying that kind of you can't advertise on social media uh, an investment, but um, brokers are able to kind of do email blasts and things like that. And um, because they're registered broker dealers and can, um, I think they're doing a lot in that space to grant access to lower check investors. And I'm a big fan. Like that's the way you're starting. That's the way you're getting connected, whatever gets you there. And I think like the crowdfunding investors today are the small check angels of five years from now, which are the big strategic angels of 10 years from now. And I'm all about the slow build um, because those numbers are dire. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 1.9% of venture capital going to women founded companies, it's not going to change in a day. So I'm all for the slow generational um, change that, as long as we're starting now. Yeah. Um, joining angel syndicates, I think is another great way. There's so many wonderful ones out there. Um, you know, Golden Seeds, 37 Angels. Um, uh, she's independent run by Natalie Levy is another wonderful one. And she actually has a program um, for folks that maybe aren't quite ready to write checks yet, but want to start getting their education. So, you know, it's like a lower annual membership fee. You can kind of join, you can see the pitches, you can get the education. There's Angel 101 modules. Um, and that's a great way to dip your toe in. Um, I do some Angel 101s and, you know, there's, Folks like me, Annie Evans does a ton of, you know, bringing deal flow to angel networks. And um, I love to spend time with people writing their first angel check. It's my favorite. Actually. <laughs> angel gets their wings. Um, yeah. So I love spending my time, um, you know, just, you know, building some education and I'm learning as I go too. What are the qualities that you are looking for in a founder or a company when you are looking to invest? I also want to ask you too, like, what are, are the things that kind of, kind of have you turned off immediately from a founder or a company that you are, that is trying to pitch to you? Okay, great. So what do I look for and what are the red flags? Yes. What I look for, I mean, it's really founder first. Um, I love to know the founder's story. Why is this founder well-suited to be in this position to build this company? Um, is their industry experience? How well do they know their market? Um, and that could be whether they're, you know, pre-seed or seed, regardless, even if you're just getting started, I want to know what got you there. Every founder has a story. And me personally, that's where I'm most interested. It's always the people that um, you know, kind of pull me in. Um, it's a little bit like dating in a yeah. way. Um, you, you know, when it's a fit, when, um, you know, you resonate with the founder, when you resonate with the product, 
Um, early stage, I think product market fit, it's so difficult to do this pre-seed and I've got a lot of empathy for my pre-seed founders who, <laughs> you know, I call them like my dollar and a dream founders who know they have something, but like how you need capital to prove product market fit and you need product market fit to get capital. Such a tough place to be. Um, and from there, this is where I think like the incubator and the accelerator space can be really beautiful. I think like mentors and advisors are the hack and the unlock there, mm -hmm. but conversation. Yeah. Um, so I like to see product market fit. I want a founder story. And um, I wanna see that they're building to scale and not just necessarily from like a market capture perspective, where are your systems and your logistics and your checks and balances in place to build on a really solid foundation. So I think even as a seed or pre-seed founder, nothing gets me more excited. This is like the old banker in me when I see <laughs> a proper deal room. Mm -hmm. And that just, when I, when I see that though, know, there's a nice little doc hub going with all of your legal documents in one place and your employment contracts in one place, and you've spent some time off on a financial model, even if that financial model is total bullshit, which it is, <laughs> yeah. and your financial model. It's all is, made up. Yeah. <laughs> you're making it up. I know that, and you know that, but yeah. I want to see where your assumptions lie and like what, how you're thinking about this business from a growth potential um, perspective. So nothing gets me more excited than a, than a really solid deal room. And it shows me like, oh, this, this company is functioning like they're a later stage. And it's almost like a manifestation vehicle, mm -hmm. right? I'm assuming I'm going to grow. So I better have a really solid foundation. Yeah, yeah I like how you describe that. What's that? I said, I like how you described that because as you're talking about it, I'm literally like just picturing you like lifting the hood of the car, right? Like it's kind of like checking, checking under the hood, but then also like, it's like the tangible and then the intangible with a little bit of imagination on the side, right? And how mm -hmm. that all kind of plays in together and creates this picture that makes sense to you or not. Yes, even when it's made up because you have you have to start there. You can't get to a goal if you can't envision it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that really gets me excited. And I think, you know, one of the hacks for that too is, you know, joining these angel communities or being a part of pitch competitions for companies that are later stage and having founder mentors that are later stage. Um, you know, I've joked with um, one of my founders that I'm working with right now, that if we were to start a podcast, it would be called the second time founders podcast, where it was just like founders talking about like, okay, if I were to start from scratch, this is what I would undo. This is what I would fix. This is what I would completely skip. Um, so mentors are invaluable, I think in the founder space and, and seeing the pitches and diligent steps of later stage companies, um, because that diligence gets like harder and harder the more later stage you go. And I think setting yourself up solid counsel is another thing I would say. As your first checks start coming in, 
there's a lot of affordable counsel resources out there right now. Um, Sherman from Level Up Legal, Wendy Halibut, Jesse Gabriel. There's so many wonderful female attorneys that are focusing on female founders and uh, or female fund managers as well. Um, I have anyway, so many resources here too, but I think having solid counsel before you think you need it, even just as a conversation. So you get to later stage and your cap table is a hot mess and it happens all of the time. <laughs> and you don't even know how much of the company you've given away by the time you've gotten there. And then and that works against you because yeah. later stage investors are like, oh, well, you don't have enough skin in the game here, mm. but it's been your whole blood, sweat and tears. Mm. So, um, that would be... Not necessarily something I look for, but one of my first pieces of advice to someone who's starting to raise. Um, and as that. far as red flags, yeah, it's an interesting question. So I know when I when I first talked to you in a meeting, you were you were so happy that I didn't like come at you with, with all these like numbers to just like pitch you. Like I, I was talking to you as a person to tell you my story and my like my passion behind it, and and you told me how you enjoyed that because that was better than having all these numbers like toss at you all at once. So I, I want to know more about your, your flags there. So like dive into that. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, right? Because I wouldn't call it a red flag, but it's a yellow one, <laughs> right? Just like I said, like, I think you have to be savvy enough to understand that one, you need to have projections and a plan and two, they're made up and the chances are that you'll pivot in some way from then until, you know, if you make it down the road to your series A, I think your company and your product even is probably going to look very different. Um, and so I think sometimes that's a surprise that businesses mutate so much over those first few years. Um, but it's kind of the way it goes. Um, I think like two out of the 20 uh, portfolio companies of mine have completely changed their business model. Three, actually. One went from an accessory company to a web three company. So it's, wow. and I think as a founder, that's why it's like founder first. Like I also want to know that if you're growing and you're just like Roblox, 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 but you see this opportunity over here to the left, you're going to seize it. Um, so I feel really grateful to that company who's now a web three company because it forced me to you know, dig into that industry and learn about it. And also they're killing it um, <laughs> because she was ballsy and not risk averse and saw this opportunity. And like, I'm going to merge fashion and web three and, and I have got an operating business and I've got a little capital. I'm going to like do it. Um, so I both appreciate the plan. Um, and I also appreciate the quality in a founder that's willing to burn it down to pivot to something that's even greater. I actually had a um a like moment I think yesterday or maybe Monday where I was telling Kia that I idea to move my company to a new direction and I just got really inspired by that so now I'm like super excited and I only had that like pivot when um after doing three programs with mentors and then having now I'm in my my fourth program now with, with mentors and investor mentors and and trying to be a better leader and a founder and through that, I had this like, huge switch from just talking to other founders and other um, 
others, other um, mentors. And now I'm just like, I'm still doing what I want to do, but I'm doing more for like building a community as opposed to just doing like a job platform. So now I'm really trying to focus on why I did it in the first place versus like making all this money that I'm trying to like do. So now I'm like, I, I feel like I'm heading in a much stronger direction, which I think will have me more set apart from like Fiverr or Upwork because of that. So it's really cool to just have those like moments where I'm like, I can do this in a better way and not, you know, have to compete with, you know, these established companies in the same way that I originally had planned. And now I feel like that has me in a better spot for investors to actually see how I'm different. So it's really been like a cool, cool two days for me. <laughs> that's very yeah. cool. And I think, yeah, the way of looking at that, that's not just what's my, the value proposition of my business or my product. What's the value proposition of me as a founder? Mm -hmm. And like I said before, we all have a story and there's a reason why we're here at this moment building this company. So keeping that close, keeping your inspiration close, I think is really important because startup life is hard. And the only thing that will get you through is your why. Mm -hmm. And coming back to like, when you think about your why, do you still feel that feeling of excitement and inspiration blooming inside of your body? And if that goes, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that's part of being like flexible and fluid as a founder, but also, um, you know, being just true to yourself generally. Definitely. Yeah. And even the, like brave and courageous, right? Because the the concept of burning it all down, right? And thinking about that, what that means to, and again, not to gender specify, but like, like I feel like we're just so much more innately loyal and like thinking of taking something that you is essentially your baby, right? Mm -hmm. And you put so many hours into it, so much thought into it and to, you're not, the, the word really is to pivot, right? But in some sense, in the back of your mind, somewhere it feels like you're kind of letting it down or failing. So like, I see it being a really big plus for the people that you're talking to because just hearing that, you know, like I've never been in a position to, like I've had to pivot, but you know, I'm still going to be an advisor. I'm still, like, it's never going to be something that I'm totally burning down and starting again. So, but just like hearing you say that, like, I was like, Ooh, <laughs> you know, like I could, I could feel that. So I recognize how, how um, courageous that must be for other people to have to do. And then for you to be able to recognize that too, I can absolutely see how that's like a, a gem. Yeah, I think that we are very much taught to value safety first and foremost, and it can be so scary to get out of your comfort zone or to try something new. But the thing you can never get rid of, you can't burn it down, is your experience. So even building a business that isn't what you thought it was, it's everything is business school. Everything is life school. And mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's just not a lot of downside to trying something new and taking what you've gained from whether you want to call it failure or a mistake or a misstep, but it's really just, it's all in the same path. You know, what did I learn? What experience? And now what's my unique value proposition? It might look different than it did six months ago. So from an, an investor point of view, 
do you foresee a dramatic change or increase in the number of companies founded by females gaining investment over the next, I want to say five years or less? Oh my gosh, God, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say, yes, of course, right? It's like why I do what I do. And if I didn't believe that, like when we talked about founders having their why, mm -hmm. that specific nugget is mine. Um, I think that everything will change once we get more women funded. Like that, we live in a capitalistic society and that is where the money goes, the power flows. So my why is getting women funded so that they're creating companies that work better for women. Um, think about how like our politics will change once we have more women running Fortune 500 companies and like how the lobbyist will change. There's so much um, impact that could happen when we have more women in charge of one, their own wealth, and two, building the corporate structures that employ us. Um, and then these numbers came out, <laughs> yeah. right? I feel like I'm so closely connected with the communities of women who are investing, and I see so many women out there raising funds, and it feels like from where I sit that the culture is changing, and then, you know, the 2022 numbers came out, and I'm like, got worse? How? Um, that being said, I still feel optimistic. I think it's, I'm realizing it's not going to be an overnight change. And yeah. I think that there are many, many levers to be pulled, um, including one activating a new class of investor. There's like so many rad people that are, you know, already empowering like Gen Z, these like this, these young communities of investors to start getting involved in the private markets democratizing access to the private markets, which I don't think is something that's been on the radar um, yet, like at yeah. all. Um, so I think that you'll see it happening. It's slow going, it's it's generational and it's, um, it's societal. Mm -hmm. And we all know how those type of issues form. It's, they form quickly and they're really hard to undo. Yeah, um, I I want to switch gears just a little because you did mention you know trying to find work life balance in your previous roles and um, you know from for for our listeners that have no real concept of what an angel investor is or a VC like even for me I can say my knowledge comes from billions I don't know if you guys know that show but like, oh, of course <laughs> I don't. So like, you know, from that show, you you just see like super cutthroat, like mostly men, of course, some a few uh, high power women sprinkled in there, but like they don't have any time ever to do anything. At least that's just what they, that they make it seem like, right? So I'm curious with the shift that you made into investing, how have you been able to make sure that you're being intentional about really giving yourself the balance that you were seeking in previous roles? Well, I would say if you ask my family and friends right now how I'm like doing balance, they would laugh um, <laughs> because I feel overwhelmed and I always feel like I'm dropping balls. But um, 
you know, I think women, we are the foundation of our families and there is a lot of stress and pressure that comes with that. Yeah. And that will never go away. Um, or maybe it will, but I don't know that in my lifetime it will. So it's now it's this balance of how do I hold both and release any guilt that comes with it? Um, I'm going to drop balls. I'm going to forget to send snacks to school. Sometimes I'm going to be five minutes late to a zoom on occasion. Sometimes I'm going to forget the zoom existed and it wasn't <laughs> my calendar on my system that works yes. to keep the brain straight. You know, for me, it's all about like the systems that I rely on to keep me organized and straight and um, have my systems that I hope are relatively fail proof. But the thing I will say that's so different from my you know previous career is that I'm choosing it mm -hmm. now. I'm connected with my why, which is everything. Um, it feels really mission driven, important, um, even if it's just to me. And that's all that matters. If it's important yeah. to you, then you'll find a few other people who resonate with that. And I can work on my terms. And I don't think there's a lot of shame in saying like, you know what, I actually can't do any of this until 8pm tonight, because my kids home sick. And that's how that's going. But um, being accountable for my own um, contribution in the timeline that works for me, whether it's, you know, late at night or early in the morning, or in like, trips and drabs when I can get to it. But no one is going to tell me how I can use my time most impactfully. So it's it's great in some ways because I'm um, accountable and it's terrible in some ways because <laughs> when I'm doing a bad job, it's all my fault. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I don't know for anyone who like tells you that they have it figured out. Like, I don't believe them. Yeah. I think that's part of the, the journey is you know, constantly doing that backwards evaluation of, you know, am I, what am I extracting as much joy out of this as possible? Am I intentionally adding roadblocks and barriers because that's the way I've been like conditioned it's been done or can we reinvent this in a way that actually works a little bit better for my lifestyle? That was a good that answer. That was a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I just love that you were able to be honest, right? And, and, you know, Courtney and I talk about this all the time. Authenticity for us is key in our in our guests, and um, and we really, really appreciate when our guests are truly authentic. Being able to say, you know, like when I when I'm doing a bad job, I know it's all my fault. Like, mm -hmm. yes, can that be maybe perceived as dramatic by some? Sure, it's but real. like that's a real feeling, and yeah. that's true. Like you really feel that, no matter if it's. 50% true, 25% true, 100% true, like it hits this exact same. So I so, so, so appreciate you for really like letting us in on that answer. Cause I think, I think I know that that <laughs> so many other people that are dealing with the same stuff, right? Like even for me, you hit so many things that I don't know if you saw my head, but I have like a bobblehead when you answer. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, like. <laughs> Absolutely. And sometimes you just have to reframe it. I'm guilty of being like, I'm so busy. Honestly, I'm so done with that narrative. And I, like, you know, want my friends and family to hold me accountable when I'm like, I'm so busy. Like it's not chosen. Mm -hmm. Like I've chosen everything that's on my calendar. I've said yes to it mm -hmm. and it's there. I, you know, I'm responsible for, I'm a mother 
Um, so everything that's in my life is chosen and there is great privilege in that. So, you know, kind of coming back to the fact that whether my calendar is full, then that's, that's an opportunity for me to be more choosy about where I'm investing my time. And, um, I can't consider myself the powerful investor I want to be if I can't invest my time wisely too. So that I'm, I try to be relentless in that accountability. Honestly, I've been failing at it recently. And um, this conversation is a good reminder of, you know, getting uh, a handle on that feeling of overwhelm and um, finding that balance. I admire you, Kelly, so much. Honestly, like I am so happy that I was able to talk to you today because of how busy you are and that there was time for us, for, for you to talk to me and Kia today. It was much appreciated and thank you. <laughs> this feels like a bomb. This is a happy investment of time. Aww. Thank Yay. you. Okay, so my last question, well, two of them is, um, is there any advice for founders who are trying to raise right now or just founders who are trying to you know, run their business that you can offer them to kind of guide them in the right direction? Yeah, for me, it, I would say community first, like look at what you're surrounding yourself with. And that goes for everything. It's like, what media are you consuming? Um, who is capturing your time? What's your peer network? Like, um, I think that it is so important to surround yourself with cheerleaders who are going to like pick you up after a bad day. Um, I've loved the expression, like surround yourself with people who will mention your name in a room full of opportunities. Um, and you know, you've experienced the opposite where, you know, you've got people in your orbit that have that scarcity mentality of wouldn't drop your name in that moment because mm -hmm. if you get a win, it, it means something negative for them. Mm -hmm. I'd say like snip them out as soon as possible. Definitely. Less and release and um, have cheerleaders around you. I feel really lucky to have found um, a pretty incredible community of people who almost relentlessly look out for me. Annie Evans is one of them, the way I met um, you. Relentlessly advocates for the community around her. And I really yeah. admire that quality. And um, I'd say when you have people around you that you admire their qualities, like you're in the right spot. Definitely. Annie Evans is amazing, for sure. Yeah, yeah. big ups to Annie Evans. <laughs> and lastly, how can our audience find you if, if they want to talk to you about, ask any questions about anything, not to pitch to you, but just to ask you questions? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the best way is my website, which is goldenhourventures.co because I was on a budget and I couldn't afford that. <laughs> so that's the realness. Sometimes you can't afford the .com. <laughs> so goldenhourventures.co and there's a contact form in there. Um, I'm also on Instagram, but um, I've been slacking in that arena. So I would say start with my website, which will go right to my email and, um, you know, always happy to connect from there. Thank you for joining us today, Kelly. You are amazing. Kelly. You all are amazing. It was so great spending time with you. All right. Bye. 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 <laughs> and that is a wrap. 
Fearless Narratives airs every Wednesday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and we will see you next week.